This is Cambridge Judge Business School's online knowledge centre, with expert commentary, analysis, and insights into the issues of the day. Chris Gopalakrishnan is the chief executive officer and co-founder of Infosys, one of the biggest IT services firms in the world, with 88,000 staff. He's acknowledged as an international business and technology thought leader. Infosys was started in 1981 by seven people with $250. Today, it's a global leader in the next generation of IT and consulting with revenues of nearly seven billion dollars. Infosys defines, designs, and delivers technology-enabled business solutions, and provides a complete range of services by leveraging its domain and business expertise, and creates strategic alliances with leading technology providers. But as Chris Gopalakrishnan explained, Infosys almost failed to celebrate its fourth birthday. Yes, you know we had hardly made any progress. We had hardly anything to show to our families in terms of what we have been able to achieve. You know, we didn't have a house or a car or something like that and the business also had reached almost a million dollars and that's it you know about 50 60 employees um, so when we uh, got an offer for a million dollars to buy us out we thought maybe we should uh, sell uh, luckily for us um, we said let's uh, give it one more push uh, we said we will do an ipo initial public offering in uh, three years and invest that money back into the business and grow the business. Luckily for us, the Indian economy opened up in 1991, and we never looked back because it allowed companies like Infosys to you know, invest in sales, marketing, invest in globalization, and it allowed us to do things that were needed for the company to grow. You make the point that the Indian economy was closed. Had it not opened up, would Infosys be where it is today? I don't believe so, uh, because um, as I said, it gave us a lot of freedom. See, before that, when we wanted to travel outside, we had to get government permission. And the permission would be given for a certain amount of money, and we have to come back and account not just to the company, but to the government also, how we spend the money. And if we had spent the money on things which were not originally submitted to them, we could be even put behind bars. So it was it was actually very difficult to be creative, to be innovative, to be entrepreneurial in that environment because everything was controlled by the government. You made the point several times that as a company and as an executive of that company, it is important to plan properly and to make periodic goals, I think you call them. See, every business has to be in control of its destiny. If it is not in control of its destiny, if it's dependent on somebody else, then it's actually very difficult to plan expenditure to plan growth etc so what we do is we we do various scenarios so in 1999 we created a scenario of how will a billion dollar company look like you know what does it mean to be a billion dollar company how many people do we need to recruit how many um, you know how much space do we need for the business uh, what kind of um, investments are required and things like that and so we we plan this and then make sure that we execute on those plans when we reach that goal, we then create a new plan. So once we hit the billion dollars, we then looked at how will a $5 billion company look like. And so we go on and on. And this is a continuous journey. It's, I call it a marathon. You made another point too, and that is that luck plays an important part. Luck favors the prepared mind. 
So you have to prepare yourself. Uh, you have to uh, work very hard uh, in building the right capabilities. You have to work very hard in creating a plan and executing on that plan. You have to work hard in creating certain capabilities. And when the opportunity comes, and understand that the opportunity is seen by many people, but only some people benefit from that opportunity. And that's what people call luck. To me, it means that you are the best prepared to take advantage of the opportunity. And that's what luck is all about. You listed some technology transitions and described them as opportunities. I mean, could you ever have predicted that you were going to get the opportunity that, that Y2K presented in '99? So Y2K was known because uh, the year 2000 problem was known for many years, actually. And so we prepared ourselves again. We built a solution to help companies solve the Y2K problem. And we were able to also scale up the business. Uh, this is what established the offshore model. This is a problem which had to be solved as low a cost as possible um, because it was not adding features to the application but was fixing a bug. And we took full advantage of that, established the model. The relationships that were built on those years still continue even today. And we have grown those relationships. Infosys has increased its value value chain by developing domain expertise in, in certain areas, doesn't it? Financial services, healthcare, transport, which you touched on. And it's becoming even more innovative as you go forward. So how much effort and time and money do you put into R&D? Or do you do the R&D? So we do what we call applied R&D. So we take uh, technologies which are um, uh, at the leading edge, the cutting edge, apply those to business problems and try to solve those business problems. And we sometimes solve those business problems in connection with our clients, actually. So co-creating with our clients. And this way we can also validate that the solutions that we come up are relevant to the market, are relevant to our customers. Uh, this is something which we have to do on an ongoing basis. We have to continuously reinvent ourselves. We spend about 1% of our revenue on research and development uh, or at any point of time. This also illustrates the importance of relationship with your clients, doesn't it? Yes. Uh, you know, 98% of our business is repeat business. You know, business with clients who were our clients for more than one year. And so we build long-term relationships. We invest in those relationships. We do new things along with those customers. And we try to make sure that we sustain those relationships over a long period of time. The other advantage of uh, building long-term relationships is that every day you're proving yourself. You're increasing the trust with your clients. If, if you're doing a shoddy job, the customer would not give you more business. So it proves yourself every single day. And lastly, it keeps your sales and marketing costs low because you're getting business with customers who have already done business with you. So it keeps your sales and marketing costs low. India, your country has taken the major lead in the development of software. Do you spend much of your time looking over your shoulder? Yes and no. You know, we always have to worry about competition. You always have to worry about uh, somebody else doing a better job. And so you cannot stand still. You have to continue to innovate. You have to do new things, you have to do things differently, you have to continue to grow. And so you have to be paranoid about your own future and what competition can bring about. Having said that, there are very few places which have the ability to scale like India, which has a educational system which uh, produces today 1.4 million engineering graduates every year. And IT is an aspirational job for Indians to, you know, this is one of the best jobs that they can get 
This gives them global exposure. This allows them to work with some of the best companies in the world. So people actually want to work for the IT industry. So there's a combination of all these things, you know, the great education system, um, you know, the aspirational nature of this job, uh, the ability to scale, all these things matter. And that's the reason why India is, in some sense, uh, the best place uh, for IT and software um, services to grow. One of the buzz phrases at the moment is, is frugal innovation. Is that something that you're committed to as well? See, we have to make sure that the cost of new products, cost of new services are low enough that it's affordable to a majority of the world's population. We can't have products and services which only serve, let's say, the top 2 billion people in the world. What about the remaining 4 billion people who are considered, you know, lower middle class, poor, etc. So I strongly believe that if we want to you know, improve the life of a majority of the people, you have to bring down the cost of products and services and means cost of innovation also. And in that sense, frugal innovation is a, a very important additional aspect or additional you know, way in which you can do innovation. Chris Gopalakrishnan, thank you for your time. This programme was produced by the Cambridge Judge Business School as part of its online broadcast series. Thank you.